This morning we're reading from Mark chapter 4. Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat it out on the lake while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. He taught them many things by parables and in his teaching said, Listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky plates, uh, places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on the, on the good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, some 100 times. Then Jesus said, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. When he was alone, the twelve and the others around him asked him about the parables. He told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has, uh, has been given to you. But to those on the outside, everything has been in, said in parables so that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving and ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. Then Jesus said to them, don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? The farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others, the seed is sown on rocky places, hear the word, and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seed grown among thorns, hear the word, but with the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires of other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seed sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop. Some 30, some 60, some 100 times what was sown. He said to them, Do you bring in a lamp to put it under a bowl or a bed? Instead, don't you put it on its stand? For whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed, and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. If anyone has ears to hear, let them hear. Consider carefully what you hear, he continued. With the measure you use, you, it will be measured to you, and even more. Whoever, whoever has been given more, but does not, what, whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. He also said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seeds on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain. First the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts, it, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. Again, he said, what shall we say of the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest seed on earth. Yet, when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants, which is, with its branches, the birds can perch in its shade. With many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as much as they could understand. He did not say anything to them without using a parable, but when he was alone with his own disciples, he explained everything. That day, when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also others in the boat with them. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat, so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. The wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and, storm, even the wind and waves obey him. Awesome. Thank you. 
Hey, everybody. It's uh, great to be here this morning. If we've not met before, my name is Len, and uh, I am uh, the Assistant Superintendent for Multiplication here in the BC and Yukon District. Uh, and I want to thank uh, Gavin and Kim for inviting me to speak here uh, this morning. It's uh, just so good to be here. Um, I love Summit. Uh, I am a former student of Sun- Summit. In fact, I'm looking at Corey. We went to school here together. Um, and, uh, and two of my three kids, uh, attended here. Well, one of them still attends. You, you never see her anymore because she's busy being married. But, um, and, uh, in fact, my eldest daughter was even registered to attend here, but she pulled out at the last minute. So I just consider that registration fee a donation. Uh, you're welcome. Um, yeah. And in fact, uh, love the school so much that I have the privilege of sitting on the board of governors. And uh, so serve in that capacity. And uh, like I said, now I'm the assistant superintendent, but uh, and also been pastoring churches, local churches for about 26 years and for the last two years in this role. Um, most recently, a little while back in Kamloops. Now, I know we have some Kamloops student here. Come on, wave at me, a few of you. And a couple of Victoria students, the Glad Tidings of Victoria. There's a few of you, like one of you. Way to represent Josh. No, there's more than that, I'm sure. Um, any rate, so yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's great to be here. Um, <clears throat> so in the district, we love, uh, these long, ridiculous titles. Uh, and so, uh, you may be wondering, what does the assistant district superintendent for multiplication for the British Columbia and Yukon district or the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada do? Um, <clears throat> he practices that first of all, cause it's hard to say all in one breath. Uh, but my role has to do with the multiplication of churches, so that's church planting, uh, starting new churches. So this year we hope to have uh, two new churches start, uh, one in the Black Mountain area of uh, Kelowna, uh, one of the uh, Summit grad uh, who's going to be doing that along with his wife, Nate and Taylor Siebert. And then uh, in September, we also hope to see another location of Glad Tidings Victoria launch uh, in Esquimalt. In and so um, I get to be part of those journeys, part of that, and uh, help to nurture church planting. Um, but also I'm responsible or, or uh, assist with the multiplication of ministry. So uh, that's church and ministry development. So that's just going in, helping churches grow, uh, helping churches develop their ministry, and so on and so forth. So anyways, that's a little bit about me uh, and my world. Oh, I was going to mention too, um, I met my wife here. So uh, lots of good memories uh, from Summit. And, uh, and, you know, um, as much as you attend, how many chapels do you attend now uh, every week? Only three? What? Tell you, the standards are falling. Um, uh, in fact, my first year was Mark Hawks's first year on staff here at Summit. Does anybody, does anybody know what year that was? (laughs) Nineteen thirty one. I'm just a little bit offended by that. Mark even more so though, because he's older than I am. Uh sorry, I heard I actually heard nineteen eighty nine. Yes, that is right. So my freshman year was Mark Hawks' freshman year, as it were. So Yeah. Okay. So how many of you were not born in nineteen eighty nine? Yeah. Awesome. Okay. <clears throat> All right. So, uh, hey, we're supposed to be talking about Mark chapter four, and I've only got about 25 minutes. So I uh, want to take a few minutes to, to look at this. 
Um, let me ask you this. Uh, and and um, this is sort of a rhetorical question, although I'm going to ask for a response in just a second. Um, but how many of you would say uh, that you have ambitions in ministry? How many of you would say, okay, I, I said rhetorical, but you can put up your hands. Uh, you are, you know, you are in college after all. Uh, how many of you would say, yeah, you know, I have certain ambitions when it comes to ministry, when it comes to following Jesus? Yeah, okay. Some of you are like, I'm not sure if I'm supposed to answer that yes or no. I don't know where he's going. It's okay. Um, for some of you, uh, you may have great ambitions uh, here at college. You know, you want to you wanna achieve that uh, magna cum laude when you cross the stage um, either, you know, this spring or, or next year in a couple years. Uh, for others of you, your great ambition is just to graduate, right? There's a few of you where you're like, if I could just make it through Greek, you know, then I will have conquered the world. Amen? Yeah. Okay. Uh, anybody here have ambition to be the next college president? You just figure, like, down the road when Dave finally gives up. Nobody? Okay. You won't admit it. Okay. Uh, I'd be curious, though, to hear a little bit from you. Uh, your ambitions, your ambitions in ministry, uh, what, what would you say would be some of your ambitions? Just, just got awkward. Okay, Logan wants to see revival. Okay, thank you, Logan. Do you want to take over? Are you, okay, all right. <laughs> okay, somebody, I heard some other. Okay, campus ministry, following your dad's footsteps. Right on, that's great. Anything else? Okay, revival and campus ministry. What? Church planting. Yay. All right, Emily. Awesome. Um, so for some of you, again, you're not sure how you're supposed to be answering this question. Some of you, you're thinking down the road, I, I want to lead a, a youth ministry or I want to lead a church uh, that makes massive local or, or uh, provincial or even national impact. You know, some of you are thinking about revival. Th- some of you are thinking about how campus ministries can you know, change our, our campuses. Uh, it's almost like a quarter million students, I think, in British Columbia alone. Uh, some of you are thinking church planting. We'll talk about that in a few minutes. And, uh, and that's great. And so the question is, is it wrong to have ambition in ministry? And my answer to that is an emphatic no. <clears throat> and please do not let anyone tell you otherwise. Uh, whether it's in college or as you go into places of ministry, don't let anybody tell you that it's wrong to have ambition uh, in ministry. In fact, this is what Paul said in Romans chapter 15, verse 20. He said, my ambition has always been to preach the good news where the name of Christ has never been heard, rather than where a church has already been started by someone else. So Paul very clearly said, yes, I have ambitions. Uh, One of my favorite authors, Erwin McManus, says this, ambition advances every good cause when it becomes vision fueled by burden. Great dreams are the fuel for great ambition and great accomplishments. So there's nothing wrong with having ambition, but let me say this. Uh, Ambitions uh, can go awry. Ambitions can move in the wrong direction. There are times where, and examples of a ministry that has become more about the leader uh, than the people that were called to serve, uh, much less the lost. And, and that's a temptation that, that we have as leaders as we step into a role, whether, again, it's youth ministry, college ministry, uh, young adult ministry, children's ministry, uh, senior pastor ministry, associate, whatever it is, the, the, um, the temptation for us is to make it about us and not about them. And egos and attitudes and interests and expectations overshadow serving and loving and caring and pastoring, pastoring and shepherding. 
And so if we're not careful, we can confuse our personal aspirations with God's purposes. We begin to think that our personal ambitions are actually God's ambitions and, and confuse the two. And here's the truth. Nobody intends to build a castle, their own castle, instead of the kingdom. But I think it happens more often than it should. And sometimes with absolutely devastating results. I could use up the rest of my time this morning telling you stories uh, from uh, my personal ministry experience, uh, stories uh, within our district uh, about that happening. It's a real thing. It's a real challenge. And it's a real temptation. So the question is this. Again, we're supposed to be looking at Mark chapter 4. How do we understand our ambitions for life and ministry Uh, even those fueled by the Spirit in light of what Jesus says about the kingdom in Mark 4. Now, uh, when Gavin uh, uh, indicated that I was going to be preaching on Mark, I was thrilled about that because uh, Mark is actually one of my favorite gospel, is my favorite gospel, I should say. Uh, It's one of the reasons that we named our son Marcus, not the only reason, but one of them. Um, But more important, what I love about the gospel of Mark uh, is that it portrays Jesus as a man of action. Uh, that as you read through the Gospel of Mark, uh, Mark writing Peter, likely writing Peter's recollections, uh, you see that Jesus is often bold in his responses. Uh, that sometimes he is even controversial. But what I love about it is that throughout the Gospel of Mark, you see Jesus responding to the needs of his people. And, and you often will read these words like suddenly or immediately. And the response of the crowd is that they were astonished and that they were amazed. And so the Gospel of Mark has this incredible, beautiful picture of who Jesus is, is this man of action, this man of response, this one who comes alongside us, meets our needs, and responds to our our prayers. And so chapter 4 is really a sampling of some of Jesus' most repeated parables. And, uh, And they follow the theme of describing the kingdom of God. Now, this is interesting, though, and I hope you took note of this, um, as it was being read, but Jesus says this, the kingdom of God is like dirt. He says the kingdom of God is like a lamp. Uh, The kingdom of God is like a farmer who's a little bit clueless because he doesn't know how grain grows. It just happens. Uh, The kingdom of God is, is like a mustard plant, which we'll talk about in just a second. So, when, when you read through this and when you heard it, I hope that there was something in your mind that thought to yourself, these are kind of strange descriptions of the kingdom of God. Is anybody here inspired by dirt? Okay. Not the reaction I was looking for. You're probably not inspired by a lamp, right? You're probably not inspired by a bit of a clueless farmer. You're certainly not inspired by... A mustard plant. See, if it were me, I would use stories that would entice people into wanting to become a citizen of heaven, right? A citizen of the kingdom. I'd have these grand stories. For example, think about when, if you were to invite me to your church this coming Sunday, okay? So I'm not a follower of Jesus. I don't really know much about church. I know they're out there, so on and so forth. But you, you came to me and said, you were my neighbor. You said, Len, I really want you to come to church with me on Sunday. You would probably not characterize your church, be like, well, we kind of start on time, but sometimes we don't. 
And the music, well, you got to kind of suffer through the music. And the preaching, sometimes he's good, sometimes he's not. Sometimes when the other guy preaches, it's even worse. But, uh, you know, uh, the people, well, we kind of put up with them. The coffee's awful. Um, your kids, you know, if they survive the morning, it'll be a win. Um, like probably you're not describing your church like that, right? It's, it's all the opposite. And so Jesus is, is bringing us these descriptions of the kingdom of God that, that frankly aren't really that flashy. They're not really that, uh, that amazing or that exciting on the surface. In fact, they require no imag- imagination. They're common. They're mundane metaphors. But isn't that one of the most powerful themes of the Gospels? And isn't that one of the most powerful themes of the Bible? That God takes the things, and especially the people that we overlook, those things that we deem as unimpressive, as mundane, as, as everyday, and He infuses them with His Holy Spirit, and He uses them in ways that are unexpected, He uses them in ways that are powerful, and He uses them in ways that are transformative. But the very fact of the kingdom, the very description of the kingdom, although simple and mundane, reminds us that you and I especially are those whom God can use. There's nothing special about me. I may have a long title, right? But there's no, nothing special about me. There's probably something even more special about you, but the point is this, that God can use every single one of us, even though we perceive ourselves as everyday and mundane. In fact, when you think about it, every single Bible hero, from Abraham to Gideon to Rahab to Ruth to David to Esther to Nehemiah to Mary to Peter to Jesus himself, was, were those who others overlooked but whom God appointed. And so when we look at these rather mundane and what might be perceived on the surface, dull descriptions of the kingdom, understand that it's actually an invitation for us to step forward and allow God to use us in a way that is unexpected, that is maybe uh, unrealized, and yet it's very real. And so let's land on the mustard plant for just a minute. Jesus said, how can I describe the kingdom of God? What story should I use to illustrate it? Well, it's like a mustard plant, mustard seed planted in the ground. And then he makes three observations. It's the smallest of all seeds. It becomes the largest of all garden plants, and it grows long branches and birds make nests in its shade. And so a couple thoughts that, that come out of this. First is this. I've already sort of mentioned this, but I want to underline it again, and that's this, that it is the small contributions. It is the seemingly insignificant things that can make the greatest impact. Now, if you think about that for a moment, that is disheartening for those of us who are called to preach, who are called to lead, you know, who are called to teach, who are called to lead worship and stand on stages and, you know, be involved in big groups. That's a little bit disheartening because we're called to do supposedly the big stuff in the kingdom. And for those of us who gain a certain matter of, of prominence, and yet we see, we see that it's actually the small contributions that Jesus is suggesting that can make the greatest impact. But after all, it is the last that shall be first. It is the least who are the greatest. After all, it is God's strength that is demonstrated in our weaknesses, that we're reminded that as, as leaders we must be servants, that those who seek to gain their life must first lose it. And so let me tell you this this morning. If you are called to lead, if you are called to preach, if you're called to lead worship, if you're, whatever your ministry looks like, do it with all of your heart. 
Do it with all of your joy. Do it with all of your strength. Do it with the absolute best of your ability. But understand that it is not your performance or the platform that matters. It is the work that you do off stage and the work that you do off the clock that may make the greatest impact in people's lives. You know, when I think about it, almost no one remembers the sermons I've preached. That sucks. Because, yeah, I mean, you put a lot of work into those things every single week. Sadly, they'll remember the bad ones. <laughs> but, like, the ones where it was like, ah, oh, it was so good. They don't remember. Logan, how many do you remember from the time that I was in Kamloops? Yeah. Yeah, that's encouraging. How about you, uh, Cademan? I know you're, where are you, Cademan? Yeah, how about you, Cademan? You remember any? Yeah, okay. So I probably, I probably embarrassed you. Yeah, okay. Josh, help me out here. None from Victoria? Not one? No, okay. <laughs> it's great. <clears throat> But I will tell you the comments that I've received over the years. It's the kind word. It's the caring gesture. It's the late night hospital visit. It's sometimes just showing up. And those are the things that have changed the trajectory of people's lives. And I will tell you the stuff on the platform gives you the opportunity for the stuff off the platform. Right? The stuff in the spotlight gives you the opportunity to do the things that off the clock that really matter and that do change lives. So sometimes it's the smallest contributions that make the greatest impact. The second thing is this. is so much of what God does and how he does it defies our expectations. I've already said it, but I'll say it again. A mustard plant is not a glorious sight to behold. If you Google it, don't do it now, but if you Google it, you will discover that it's sort of a hairy, disorganized, and lopsided thing. It's, it's not beautiful. It's, it's not something that you're going to plant in your garden hoping that others will take, they might take notice, but in the, in the wrong sort of way. And yet, this is a great description of ministry. And it might even be a great description of people in your ministry. In fact, it might be a great description of the person that you're sitting next to. Right? A little hairy, a little odd, a little lopsided, a little disorganized. If she's sitting next to you, don't tell her that, okay? <clears throat> Sorry about that. Um, but I think that's a great description of ministry. And, and I will tell you this, as someone who prefers order, as someone who likes tidiness, as someone who's always calling for clarity... That's really frustrating. But the fact of the matter is ministry is just messy because people are involved. And people by nature are messy. And so again, don't hear what I'm not saying. I would never encourage you to be sloppy, lazy, or disorganized in your ministry. You know, if there's one thing that I've seen almost over the last, uh, over the last two years, or almost two years that I've been in this role, is there's a few times where I've sat back and I thought, if there was a th such a thing as clergy malpractice, that person should be charged with it. 
Because sometimes as pastors, we can be lazy, we can be disorganized, we can be sloppy, we can just sort of slap it together because we did it last week, we can do it again this week. Because I don't have the gift of administration, so I'll just knock it together and then all of a sudden the CRA pulls my charity status from my church. Which we were just dealing with in the spring. Or in the fall, I should say. So don't be lazy, don't be sloppy, disorganized. But sometimes you have to come to the fact with the terms that what God produces is not what you intended. And to embrace the mess. Because I want you to notice the third observation that Jesus makes. That the birds make their nests in in the shade of this mustard plant. Which if you do a quick search in Scripture and you do a little bit of study on that, you discover that that this is a place of safety. It's a place of blessing. It's a base, place of provision. It's obviously a place of gathering. It is obviously a place that, that is, that is attractive enough, despite the mess, despite kind of how things sort of unfold in an unexpected fashion. It's a way that's attractive enough that where others are called into. So I'm going to challenge you with a personal application in a moment, but as I was studying for this message, as we should with every message, I had to pause for a moment and say, how do I apply this for me? How do I apply this in the context of my ministry? In light of Jesus' descriptions of the kingdom in Mark 4, what does the multiplication of churches and ministries look like in terms of as I lead and in terms of the British Columbia and the Yukon District? And so let me just unpack that very quickly. And I'm going to just pause here for a quick commercial break. Uh, as well. All right. But, but as I've considered that, here's how that works out for me in my world. First of all, it's, so I came into this, into this role and my first inclination is, oh, like within, within a couple months, if, if a year, you know, we're just, we're going to be planting churches like all over the place, you know, and it's not going to be just like ones and twos. It's going to be fives and tens and fifteens and twenties. Like how hard is that? Well, it's a lot harder than I thought. Um, but as I've, as I've applied this, it, the thought has crossed my mind is this, is that I need to embrace the idea that a few people really catching the vision for church planting is a win for the kingdom. And, and I would hope even in this crowd of students that there would be a few of you who would catch the vision for church planting. Just as I decades ago, oh Lord, decades ago, sat where you're sitting, you know, and there were students that would hear a missionary speaker come in, and God would do something in their hearts, and, they'd, and he'd plant a seed for missions work, and now, you know, years later, they're overseas, or they're serving in some sort of capacity, and for others, it was youth ministry, and for others, God had planted a seed for children's ministry, and for others, you know, God had planted a seed for leading a church, you know, nonprofit ministry, whatever it is, My hope and my prayer is that God would plant a seed to catch the vision for church planting because it frankly is the most effective way to reach lost people. Established churches, God bless them. I've been part of them for, uh, you know, almost 30 years. I love the established church. I embrace the established church. I worship in an established church. So again, don't hear what I'm not saying. But understand that church planting is the most effective way to reach lost people. And for those churches that are struggling, revitalization takes years, even up to a generation, whereas church planting can be accomplished in months. And so there's a tremendous opportunity. 
It also means embracing creative ways of doing ministry. See, innovation often means breaking old systems and breaking new ground. And that is messy. So in my world, as I apply this, those are the things that I think about. Now, this is where the commercial comes in. And I was given permission to do this. So I'm doing it. Um, This weekend, uh, I am hosting at Abbotsford Pentecostal Assembly uh, a church planting and church multiplication conference called Momentum. Uh, Some of you have seen, oh, I thought I was getting a clap. That was, yeah, oh, no. Sorry. Can I just, okay, can I just say that was not me looking for a clap? It's like, can I hear a good amen? I was not doing that. I actually thought somebody's starting to clap. Okay. Oh, geez. Okay, so um, momentum. We've got one of North America's uh, most uh, knowledgeable person around church planting who's going to be here just down the road sharing with us for the weekend. Um, and then we've got one of who I think is the best worship leaders, not just in the, in the district and not just in the country, but on the planet, uh, leading worship, and that's Luke Stones. Um, it is going to be a really fantastic weekend. We have workshops and so on. And so listen, if, if there is just an inclination in your heart around church planting, if there is an inclination in your heart around the multiplication of ministry, I would love to have you there. So um, I got a bunch of these. Should I pass them out? Or you just know, that, you know they're here. Um, and I would love for you to be a part of that. Now, there is a cost attached for Summit students. Um, I think for everybody else, it's 60 bucks. For Summit students, it's $20. Now, it, you're going to get all the sessions. You're going to get lunch. You're going to get uh, after party on Friday night, all the things. Um, but let, let me say this too. If you want to come and you're like, Len, I'm a broke student. Like, I literally don't have 20 bucks. I do remember those days. Um, and I felt like they weren't that long ago. In fact, I still feel like I'm paying for them. Anyways, um, if you come to me and say, I just, I, I'd love to come, but I just don't have the money, talk to me, okay? And we'll make it happen. We'll get you there. No worries. But I'd love for you to be a part of that because it does speak to this idea of, of God doing something great uh, through the small things. And, and I, again, I've just got such a passion around church planting. Okay, thus ends the commercial. Let me draw this to a close. Let me ask now for you to apply some of these thoughts into your own life. What's your mustard seed? What is the small thing that God can grow into something unexpected in your life? In fact, as we pause in this moment, and, I, and I've been just perfectly thinking through this message, I feel like it's a bit cliche, but I feel like i got to say, and that is this, is that there are some of you in this room where you just feel like, even though you, you took the step of faith to come to Bible college, and maybe, maybe you've even been here for a little while, you just sit there and you kind of feel like, ah, all I see is the faults. All I see is the, is, is the mustard plant. It's kind of hairy and disorganized and and a little, like, just a mess. Can I just say to you this morning that God can still use you? That God knows that, and while He wants to refine you, that there is an opportunity for you to step out in ministry. Because if God waited for us to be perfect or organized or all put together, none of us would be serving Will you allow God to plant a mustard seed in the soil of your ambitions? 
When I asked that question, most of you tentatively, fearfully raised half a hand because, like I said, you didn't know where I was going. Most of you have ambitions. But will you allow God to plant a mustard seed into the soil of your ambitions? And allow that to develop and allow that to unfold and allow that to, um, to emerge in a way that he would design, in a way that he would allow, that might not meet your expectation. I'll tell you, anybody standing up here, and I'm looking around at some of your professors and leaders and so on, like all of them would say, I didn't expect to be here, didn't expect to be doing this, I didn't expect that God would lead in this fashion. And so allow God to plant a mustard seed in the soil of your ambitions. And the last challenge is this. Will you let go of your suppositions about success in ministry? and how God works, and invite him to grow something new and something that might look unexpected, but that is incredibly attractive in your life. Let me pray over you. Father, thank you for this great institution, Lord. Thank you for Summit Pacific College. Thank you for the literally hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of students Lord, who have grown, who have matured, who have been called out of this place, Lord, and into various places of ministry, myself, my kids, Lord, my wife. Lord, thank you. Thank you for every single student who sits here this morning. Thank you, God, that you have designed them. Thank you, God, that you have appointed them. And thank you, God, that you will anoint them, Lord, to serve you in ways that have yet been uh, discovered. Lord, in ways that are new and fresh and innovative. Lord, in ways that maybe even they wouldn't expect. But Lord, I pray that, you would, that they would allow you to shape their ambitions. Lord, I pray that whatever it is that they do and however it is that they lead, God, Lord, that it would look more like the kingdom of God, Lord, than a personal thing. And so, Lord, I pray your blessing over this student body. I thank you for them, Lord God. Use them for your honor and your glory, the strengthening of your church, and the extension of your kingdom, I pray. In the magnificent name of Jesus, amen.